Yeah, that, I'm glad you highlighted that, Oscar. I was planning to share, you know, the same thing. That word in the Greek is the word hutos, and it carried the word so, and it carries with it the idea of thus or in this manner. So in other words, it's in this manner that God loved the world. Not God loved the world so with arms extended wide kind of things, but it's in this manner. Guys, and, you've just opened up John 3.16 for me in a new way. I never heard that before. Wow. That's really neat. Yeah, praise God. What proves that someone only cares for their own self? They have a self-own... <laughs> A cell phone, I get it. <laughs> that's original. That's what she, yeah, you can that's tell. What she wanted to start <laughs> you can a yeah. podcast tell. that will go I, around the entire world. Yes, that's I made the, it up, that's what and you it will to. now be used by millions all across the Boy, planet. Program, Isn't that clever? The program can only get better. Clever? It, really? Yeah. How does, how, how, what, what proves that someone only cares for their own self? They have a self-own. Own, self, self-own. That's enough. Let's move get on. It, Mark. <laughs> Okay, one more. Mark, you've been friends with him a long time. Why? Well, Ray pays me. <laughs> I didn't want this to come out. There's always a reason. $100 a day. Be friends with Easy. He's okay, my you guys are going to, you get, well, Oscar's going to like this one. Why did the, why did they even, why did the coffee call the police? Because it got mugged. <laughs> That was made up. Okay, too. that's not original. That was from my friend Eric Abbott. I like that one actually. Uh, isn't no. that one good? <laughs> uh, yeah, Eric's a good friend. He's become a good friend. His wife Charity's a singer. You guys got to check out her music. Actually, he did this. He, he works at, at, in a public place. He he told this joke on a PA system, so all the that employees and customers just told? could hear. Yeah, and he sent me the video of him doing it on the PA system. Anyway, good one. Thank you, Eric. Oscar, why are you saying stuff? What are you saying? I stuff? didn't say anything. I would oh, never. I was expecting you guys to jump out with a bunch of dad jokes. No dad jokes? Knock, knock. Who's there? <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> home. Easy say knock, knock. Knock, knock. Who's there? Isn't that annoying? Isn't <laughs> that it? Puts, is annoying. It puts a back My on the My brain other did a little uh, kind of like, oh, well, who is what? there? Yeah. Jokes are fun. Jokes are fun and jokes are funny. Oscar, Some of them are even funny. Not the ones you write, but... I loved it. That was when I when that came to my mind, I thought that is so absolutely brilliantly clever. Oh, what do you call a herd of sheep falling down a hill? Landslide. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was funny. Good. Yeah. You don't like the coffee one, Oscar? It was, it was, it was a joke. It got mugged. <laughs> I've heard that one before. It was, oh, it was like a joke. Yeah, kind of like a joke. Ray... What have you been up to lately? Uh, five, 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 five. Yeah, figured. <laughs> that was that was predictable. How come not six, six footish? What do you say? Oh, five eleven ish. Five eleven ish. Five eleven ish. Just or, identify. I'm actually four seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Oh, Ken Ham always does this thing where he says I'm fourteen plus, and then he'll add the, the balance of his age. Why? Millions of years. At my previous job, we had to wear a suit every single day. Oh, every Monday through horrors. Friday, we had to wear a suit. And one time they did a contest for the best neckwear. It was a tie. <laughs> <laughs> You've told that one before. That's I don't think so. You're running out. Suits. That reminds me. Ray, do you like suits? Not lawsuits. No. I like other suits. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy wearing a nice suit. Do you? I haven't done it for years. Where are your suits, I like Ray? Suits. I don't have a suit. I don't have any suits. I gave you some. No, they weren't suits, were they? I gave somebody suits. Yeah, it wasn't. Are you, no, you, are you wearing a borrowed suit, Ray? No. Oscar's borrowed suit? No. You just give him your shirts. Yeah, I thought I gave you suit jackets one time. 
sports I coats. Think, I just got to confess this. I couldn't do the buttons up on those things. I think they were for thinner people or something. Like that. <laughs> well, I know because Daniel Comfort was Where wearing them at a Christmas party Yeah, one I think time. I gave it to him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. They were. I was oh, real excited fun. until I couldn't get it around my little body. Ray, you and I were talking about the other day the joys of being able to tell a joke you've told multiple times from the pulpit and you know it gets a laugh. And you're talking about how you just spoke at a really massive mega church. There were five people there. Yeah, for Ray, that was mega. <laughs> and you were saying how it's such a buzz when people laugh. You can understand why people want to be stand-up comedians because it's not just the money. It's the joy you get out of it. Making people laugh is a real joy, especially when there's a lot of people. Yeah. Humor is also a great tool for memorization. Uh, if it's properly placed in like a sermon, it can help people remember a point. It's also, I'm saying this in case somebody's like, oh, why would you use a joke that doesn't seem reverent? But humor used in the right way does a couple of things. It also tends to make people more agreeable. In other words, a, a preacher or you, you know, you evangelizing to somebody on the street, if you can get them to laugh, there's a greater likelihood that they'll end up agreeing with you in an otherwise disagreeable moment. Well, so true. Yeah, when you go so. into a, if I'm in a church and a new preacher gets up that I have never heard before, pastor introduces him, and he uses humor, I think, oh, this guy's human. Oh. There's going to be a, it's not going to be a dry sermon. He's going, to, he's going to give us a little flash of lightning in the darkness. So it breaks down barriers, gets rid of prejudice. Yeah, there are some preachers that are like anti-humor. And what a joke. Pff, what a joke. But really, I mean, they, they, they are like that, and it's kind of miserable when you think about it. I mean, look, I'm not saying that we get around get up and be clowns by any means, but I'm just saying a little, just a little humor here and there, it does, it breaks the ice, it res- kind of resets people, right, Mark? Does mm-hmm. it just sort of get some, like, re It wakes, wakes them up. I, I think that by, by all means, you know, besides sinful means, you yeah. know, we share the text. Well, whatever we can do to get the text to really sit, I, I love it. And there's people that disagree with that, but... Yeah. I I saw this guy on Twitter, a pastor who said we need to stop with alliterations uh, with our points when we're preaching a message. We just need to share the text. Mm. Well, this person responded in a tweet and he literated what he said <laughs> in a tweet, and it was so cleverly done. And wow. the pastor responded back with "blocked." No, oh <laughs> man, that was so good. Yeah. Why'd you block him, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> we know it was you, Marky. All right, friends, we have a comment from Mason M. Thank you. I am a freshman in high school and have not been saved for very long. I live with my family, and all of them are not saved. I struggle so much every day, and I'm constantly weeping for them. This podcast and the Living Waters Ministry has helped me so much during my time as a Christian, and I thank God that the Living Waters Ministry exists. Thank you so much, Ray, Easy, Oscar, and Mark. I love all of you guys, and I hope that you and your families are doing well. God bless. Please pray for my family and that God would save them. Thank you. Mm. Man, I love that. That's rad. You know, not that his family isn't saved, but that he's weeping over his family. Thank you for listening, Mason. And hey, God is faithful. Continue to pray and share the gospel with them. He he does amazing things. Yeah, absolutely. And Mason, go hard after God in in the days of your youth. Man, you guys have heard me share that. I'm sure you have. My only regret in my salvation is that I didn't come to Christ sooner. You know, I was, yeah, just pretty much just before I became a junior, but... The younger, the better, mm-hmm. you know, to use that youth energy, clarity of mind, you know, time that yeah. you have on your hand to go deep after God. So do that, Mason. All right, friends, this podcast is brought to you by How to Be Free from the Fear of Death. 
Ray, book. I love this book. Yeah, I've mentioned before how I was hesitant to give out the tract with the same name, but people never reject it because everyone has that haunting fear of death. So it scratches where people itch. It's yeah. the ultimate itch. It is. Not to mention it's got a cool cover. Was it feels cover. like velvet or something. Yeah, absolutely. What yeah. does velvet feel like? Make sure to check it out, friends, along with the Evidence Study Bible at livingwaters.com. All right, guys, we're talking about a very, very popular verse. Never heard of it. John 3.16. How do you say 3.16 in Spanish? Do you guys know? Uh, Man, Oscar. You're Why are you looking at Ray for <laughs> confirmation? Ray, what, what, what word do you know in Spanish? Bueno, pronto. <laughs> Taco. Burrito. Taco Taco's Bell. Not a, that's uh, not a name. Taco not is? stupid. Remember burrito? when Ray went to Taco Bell when he came here from New Zealand and they had him pull over? Because you ordered how many tacos? <laughs> oh, it was a mistake. Yes. Yeah. Did you? They, they made me pull in the parking lot because I'd ordered so much stuff. <laughs> and they had to bring it all out to me. Was it, it like a big pack of tacos? I, I must have ordered the specials and a couple of specials or something. It was only for four or five of us at home. But I, went through the, I went through the drive-thru and I said, like, this, this, and this. And they said, could you please pull over to the parking lot? And uh, they all brought it out to me because there was so much stuff. And you guys used to say taco, right? Taco? taco? Yeah, well, I, <laughs> Taco bail. That was another life. Yeah. Kebabs, what are they called? Yeah, kebabs. Yeah, I remember your relatives from New Zealand. They called um, no kebabs. How do you guys say it? Kebabs. Um, Bob's your uncle. Speaking of redeeming <laughs> the time, yeah, uh, I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, um, I think I think this one ended up on the list because I, I I had a special request on it. John three sixteen is one of the most recognized Bible verses in the entire world. You don't even one have to of? be. One of? It's got to be number one. It is number, yeah, most likely number one. You know, most non-Christians, not most, very many non-Christians know what it is. You go to college football games and you'll see John 3.16 written, you know, on their eyes. You'll drive down the street and you might see John 3.16 on a bumper sticker. Overpasses on the 5 freeway, you'll see John 3.16. Everywhere you look, it's John 3.16. And most people, even if they've never attended or haven't attended church in a really long time, if you ask them John 3.16, I bet a lot of people can still quote it, you know, especially people who grew up in the church for God's soul of the world. At least they can quote the first part of it. And yet I believe it's also one of the most, if not misunderstood, then just simply not understood verses. And I think there's several contributing factors that make it misunderstood. And before we get into that, I also think, because I'd love for you to read, I, I see that you've got quite a bit of verses prepped. I also think that it can be and is one of the most powerful verses in helping us understand the gospel, which is why I think it's so important to slow down and understand the text for what it is. And it could be so easy for a Christian to be like, oh yeah, John 3.16, I got that. That's the text that I wouldn't need to study. But sometimes the most well-known verses are well-known for a reason because there's power in them. Yeah. Well, let me say, first of all, I, I wish that more of us Christians would do what's been done with John 3.16 in terms of hearing it so much, seeing it so much that we we become so intimately familiar with it. You know, it pops in our mind and there's a sense inside of us that isn't overt, but that we can feel what the verse is just by hearing the reference, you know? And to me, it just speaks of familiarity with God's word. But the flip side of that, and I've talked about it before on the podcast, is the John 3.16 syndrome, where we know it so well that we gloss over its significance and meaning. And, and then another aspect of it is that Sometimes we don't really grasp what it really means, and and that's what we want to talk about. Today you know, it's interesting that you you worded it like that, Easy, because when I study commentaries, 
to prepare for a message, when I come to a text, it's easy to skip the text because you know what the text says and get right to the commentary. But I purpose inside my heart to never do that, to slow down when I get to a text, even it doesn't matter how familiar I am with the text, because the text itself is alone. It stands alone from the commentary. It alone is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I remember I was listening to a, a preacher at a men's conference, and when he was going up there, the gentleman who invited him to speak, he said, you know, I'm sorry people have eaten into your time so we don't have a lot of time for you to give your message. Just skip your text and get right to your commentary. <laughs> I'm sorry, Wait, what? seriously? Seriously. So he went up there and he said, I don't have a lot of time here with you today, so I'm just going to read the text. Nice. And oh, he wow. read the text like and it. then he went and he sat down. That's a statement. Yeah. That's but funny. Uh, rightly so, yes. you know, I think that, that there's sometimes so much of man's enthusiasm to utter man's words that we forget we should just basically be opening it up and let let the word and and the text you know speak exposit the text bring out the meaning give the sense to the people i do something similar mark when i'm preaching on a sunday i will do my commentary monday and tuesday sometimes start my writing tuesday finish wednesday do the outline wednesday night and then sit on it thursday friday saturday but from monday to sunday i every morning i wake up and i just read the chapter of whatever text i am I'm in, I just read the chapter, just read it over and over and over and over again, because I don't want to ever get lost in my points, in the commentary that I'm reading and whatever else it is. I want that to first saturate in me before it goes out of me. Yeah. Are you the same way in the sense that when I'm preparing a sermon, I will not listen or read somebody else's commentary or their message on that text right before I teach? Because I begin to think, man, there's everybody's just teaches way better than me. I might as well just hit play in front of the congregation and just play the message. And I go, you know what? The Lord raises up people and he takes them down. So I get, kind of get caught up in a place. I don't want to listen to a sermon on this right before I teach. So I'll do what you said, and that is I want to study the commentaries or what people have uh, said concerning the text early on, uh, at least a week before I give uh, my mes- my message. Do you do that easier? Do you not have a problem with that? We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters Podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. No, that's not my typical approach, but I can see the wisdom in that for sure. I think it is good that the sooner you get done. I think sometimes I like to do commentary work even closer to when I'm teaching as well, before and after, and after so that I can, again, be reminded of, of certain highlights connected with the text and, and meaning, you know, especially when, when it deals with the languages and stuff. So, Ray, do you ever deal with that, a scripture you've had memorized for a long time where you feel like you've got to pause and really kind of think oh, on it again? Oh, I've got to discipline myself, you know, 
John 3.16 is one of them. I know what's coming next. Four, I know what's coming next. Yeah. But uh, it's, that's the good thing about meditating. It's like you've had a certain meal before and you don't say, I've had this meal before. I'm not going to eat it again. You can still enjoy it. That's good. And so you've got to stop and slow down is the key. Just don't rush over it. Yeah, yeah. So I think, again, like with our understanding of anything, we need to look at context. And I think sometimes we forget John 3.16 has a context. It's almost like it's its own chapter and single verse. What we should do is give out signs for people to hold up at football games, John (laughs) 3.36. I wonder how people would respond to that. Yeah, say, what's that Bible verse? Yeah. You know, if I had my way, I would declare a moratorium. Stop it, Spence. Wait, what? That's the highlight of my notes. (laughs) Don't you even think about it. You bad man. I love looking at Ray's notes and just starting them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You see, he gets this panic in his eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Thunderstealer. So obviously, John 3.16 has a context, and the context is Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Mm. He's talking to Nicodemus, and you know we have the famous verse, of course, preceding that in verse 3, where he said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And of course, Nicodemus is kind of like perplexed by this, like, How what do you mean? Things be? Yeah, can I get my mother's womb, come back out? How can these things be? And so, you know, Jesus begins to expound that. You're the teacher of Israel. You don't know these things. If I, you know, what if I tell you other things? And then verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So he he climaxes into that. But, But imagine Nicodemus, right? A Jew, a leader amongst the Jews, a teacher of the law, hearing this truth for the first time. Like Mm. I try to, as much as I can, forget that I know it and and imagine myself being Nicodemus and I'm hearing this, right? you're a great teacher of the word. You must be born again. And God loved the world. He gave his son. Nicodemus is accustomed to man giving to God and man attempting to win favor with God. And he hits him with this. And then imagine that he's likening himself to Moses raising the serpent in the wilderness. And by the mere look at that serpent, there was healing. He's saying, this is what I bring. Yeah. And that kind of gets into one of the challenges that we have in John 3.16. It's the way that we approach it. I'm sure most people, if they stop and think, they'll realize that the chapter breaks and that the numbers in our Bibles are not original text. The chapter breaks were put in there by commentators, scholars, editors to help us break up the Bible and kind of work our way through it. Same with the addresses. And for the most part, the chapter breaks are useful. They help us discover themes. But sometimes the chapter breaks get in the way. And I think the chapter break just before John 3.16 is one of those examples where it gets in the way. Because you approach John 3.16, and, and if you open up your Bibles, unless you're driving, don't do that. If you're at home and you open your Bibles and you look, your Bible most likely says, for God so loved the world, that's the chapter, John 3, 16, and off you're running. And the problem with that is it discombobulates, it disassociates John 3, 16 with what you just read, which the rest, uh, the earlier part of the chapter, the conversation with Nicodemus and the serpent, which I think we need to get into the serpent. But the other challenge that we have too is the way in which it's translated to in English. It says, Uh, Here's the ESV one, but most of them read somewhat similar. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, to be clear, I'm not claiming that scholars who translate this translated it wrong. What I am saying, though, in our hyper-individualistic, expressive individualism culture, 
when we read, for God so loved the world, here's how we read it. God loved the world so much. In other words, God found the world just so lovable that he just had to give his only son. Like when my daughter grabs onto a teddy bear, she grabs it because it's stuffy and fluffy and she loves it so much. But that's not the way it's meant to be read. It's, and I think the CSB actually helps us with this. The CSB says it like this, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. See, it's a particular kind of love, an actual love. How not the world was so lovable that this is what God did, but rather here is how God has loved the world. And to understand that, to your point, we have to understand John 3, 14. You just read it. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We we have to understand John 3, 14 to understand 3, 16. And, And so what he's referring to is this weird and peculiar story in Numbers where God's people have escaped Egypt They've crossed the Red Sea. They've been wandering in the wilderness and they get tired and they're grumbling and they're complaining. And because of their complaints, God sends a curse. That's key. God sends a curse in the form of poisonous snakes. And people are getting bitten by this poisonous snake and they're dying. And and the people go to Moses and they're like, we need to repent. We realize what we've done. We are fools can you please do something about this? And Numbers 21, eight, here's what it says. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, it shall live. Mm-hmm. And so Moses does that. He creates a, a, a bronze serpent. He sticks it on the pole and it says that any, all you have to do is look, just look and you will be healed. What were they looking at? They were looking at the very thing that was cursing them. And so when he says, John 3, 16, in this way, that is the gospel that ultimately Christ becomes, he who knew no sin became sin for us. What do you have to do to be saved? Look, look to Jesus, the son of God who became sin He who knew no sin became sin. He took the fullness of the wrath of God so that you would be saved from the curse. Mm. John 3, 16 is all about the gospel of Christ getting on a pole like the serpent. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you highlighted that, Oscar. I was planning to share, you know, the same thing. That word in the Greek is the word hutos and it carried the word so, and it carries with it the idea of thus or in this manner. So in other words, it's in this manner that God loved the world. Not God loved the world so with arms extended wide kind of things, but it's in this manner. Guys, you've just opened up John 3.16 for me in a new way. I never heard that before. That's really neat. Yeah, praise God. And, and I, you know, a, a guy by the name of Scott Stein really highlights this. He says, it wasn't our worth that brought Jesus down. Rather, his coming down brought us our worth. That's so good. And then he says, when we read God loved the world so much... Our focus is immediately put on us. 
It makes the father's motivation for sacrificing his son, the amount of his love for humanity, as if he simply could not do without us and would do anything to get us back. Wow. It's man-centered. It's man-focused when we look at it that way versus, you know, look at what, what God did. And so I think it, it's so important that we, we do grasp that and its context and what it's revealing. And this puts the importance where the importance is due, right? That this puts it right back on God, not upon man. That's the big deal. And this is why we use the law of God to demonstrate that man is not lovely, but God is love. And because God is love, he loves to save people, 1 John 4, 6. So we go through the law of God. And I want to share a couple quotes, if I may, concerning the importance of the use of the law in our evangelistic endeavors. John Wycliffe, he said, if you do not use the law and gospel proclamation, you will fill the church with false converts. Mm. He said, the highest service to which a man may obtain on earth is to preach the law of God. Jonathan Edwards, he said, the only way we can know whether we are sinning is by knowing his moral law. George Woodfield, he said to his hearers, first then, before you can speak peace to your hearts, you must be made to see, made to feel, made to weep over, made to bewail your actual transgressions against the law of God. Martin Luther, the first duty of the gospel preacher is to declare God's law and show the nature of sin. John Bunyan, the man who does not know the nature of the law cannot know the nature of sin. We must preface the gospel with the law of God to demonstrate that man is not lovely. There's nothing lovely about him. And this is in light, in the shadow of John 3, 16, about God's love for man. It makes no sense for God to save man. There's nothing good in man. Matthew Henry said that sin runs in our very blood. It is the corruption of man. It is in the heart of man. And this is why it is so necessary to go through the law. And when you don't, you will get false converts if somebody does not see their need for a savior. Yeah. The, the, the law is the bow that gives the arrow thrust. Mm. If you do not use the law, the arrow will fall into the dirt right in front of you. And that's what happens with John 3.16. It's the most beautiful verse, and yet it me- it's meaningless to most of America because it's been pushed without using the bow. Let me share that quote that Mark was going to steal. This is from Paris <laughs> Reedhead. And I absolutely love this, and I'm in awe at Paris Reedhead's courage and his discernment to say something like this. He said, if I had my way, I would declare a moratorium, for those that don't know what that means, it's a temporary prohibition of any activity. He said, I'd declare a moratorium on public preaching of the plan of salvation in America for one to two years. I call on everyone who has use of the airways and the pulpits to preach the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the law of God, until sinners would cry out, what must I do to be saved? Then I would take them off into a corner and whisper the gospel to them. And then he says this, don't use John 3.16. Now, when I looked up this quote, I found it, and someone had put it on the internet and taken that part of the quote out because that was poking them in the eye. You can't say don't use John 3.16. He said, such a drastic action is is needed because we have a gospel-hardened generation of sinners by telling them how to be saved before they have any understanding of why they need to be saved. Mm. And so... If you keep saying, I've got a beautiful cure, I've got a cure, but you never address the disease, that cure won't be appreciated or appropriated. And that's what Paris Reedhead was saying. And I came very close to meeting him. He's now with the Lord. And I regret not driving a certain distance to meet him. Have you ever heard him 
two shekels and a shekel. Yes, I remember you shared that message a long time ago with us, Ray. Yeah, yeah, and he just had the most beautiful voice. I would have swapped with him in a second. It's just (laughs) magnificent. I made my son Ethan listen to that message about a month ago, 10 shekels and a shirt. Highly recommended, Paris Reedhead. One more quote from D.L. Moody. He said, ask Paul why the law was given. Here's his answer. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Then he goes on, the law stops every man's mouth. I can always tell a man who is near the kingdom of God, his mouth is stopped. Uh This then is why God gives us the law, to show us ourselves in our true colors. Where are you getting these quotes from, Spence? Because they're all familiar. They're from our website? I don't know if we have them on. I've just had them for years. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. That's so good. You know, I, I think we grow immune to the influence that God has allowed to happen through Ray and through our ministry, through Hell's Best Kept Secret. But it's been a blessing to see, I think, a felt change in the church to a degree. It's not where we would like it to be, but we have seen a change. We've seen a change in people becoming more evangelistic, more open air preaching, but also getting back to biblical evangelism and the use of the law. I mean, Ray, after all these years, does that delight your heart? I mean, when you first preached Hell's Best Kept Secret, when you got a hold of the use of the law, did you ever fathom that? I never, never for a moment, but I had this incredible confidence that God would open doors. And I remember there was, the guys would be frustrated. They'd write to me and say, our church is not using the law. And Mm -hmm. I said, well, don't split your church because of it. Don't be worried about the goings on in the goldfish bowl when there's a whole ocean to fish in. Yeah. Don't you worry about the local church. Don't upset your pastor. Don't split your church. Just go out and evangelize and do it biblically and learn from your pastor what not to do. That's Mm. what I used to do. I'd listen to modern preachers with their, if I can say it, their silly altar calls with the silly music and the emotional and all the decisions for Jesus and all the falling away. And I think, okay, this is teaching me what not to Mm. do. Mm. I'm going to make sure I do it biblically. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, and and again, you know, getting back to to the meaning of that and, and magnifying the Lord, Scott Stein went on to say, he said, this is how God loves the world. When we read, this is how God loves the world, however, our attention rightly focuses on God. It reveals to us something about God and the nature of his love, namely that it is entirely boundless, selfless, and gracious. It's not because he needed us that God loved us this way, quite the reverse. It's because we need him. The Father's motive for sending Jesus was actually his love for the Son and his desire to glorify the Son. Wow. So good. I mean, that flies in the face of modern contemporary Christianity, you know? Hey, it's not about you. And Ray, you you talk about this, where you talk about that experience you had, I think, was it in Australia? You gave the altar call and the kid walks down, chewing gum or whatever. That's right. I've forgotten about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to- The kid's name was Ken Ham. Yeah. (laughs) I had to really repent of being, or repent, break away from my own personal traditions. Even as a young, young man, young Christian, I was in a rut of modern gospel, man-centered gospel preaching, even Mm. with the Hell's Best Kept Secret understanding. And I went to witness to a guy and I had a a phrase that I think I said, you'll never find peace without Jesus Christ. And I thought, what am I saying? You know, you can find a, you can find a peace in the world. That's, that's a, it's a false peace, but it is a peace. What you want is not a feeling of well being in your head, but you want peace with God. Mm. You want that wrath to be taken off you. And so, yeah, um, I can't even remember what you said, but it was brilliant. Easy. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ray, you know, you, you highlighted 
John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's not typically included with the citing of John 3, 16. I mean, it's not, that's the chapter, right? I mean, and that wrath, right? Why do people so desperately want to detach wrath from God? I'm talking about Christians, is it because there is that notion, uh, I don't want people to feel like I'm a fear monger. And you always say, yeah, people say, are you trying to make me scared? Yes, I am. Yeah. yeah. I think it's been fostered by the interpretation of John 3.16. The idolatry has been, has been fostered by, for God so loved the world, he's just oozing with love. And it doesn't rightly paint God as the judge of the universe with his wrath abiding on sinners. When that revelation comes that God isn't like we imagine him to be, that's when we get a little bit of fear of God in our heart and helps us to depart from sin. But we have multitudes who hold on to their sins because of idolatry, because they don't fear God. And I, that's why I love thunder and lightning. I mean, you guys like thunder and lightning? Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Sue doesn't like it. She's, <laughs> it it's good, though, because it makes them want to snuggle up closer to me so I, can, <laughs> so I can be a protector. But yeah, it's just something wonderful about seeing lightning flash across the sky. And that's my father. Mm. I can't remember who coined the phrase, but there's a phrase that I think it's important to understand why the modern church is the way that it is. And that's moralistic therapeutic deism. Boy, that's good. That's what people tend to understand about the gospel, that it's moralistic, that it's, it's all about the right way to live, that it's therapeutic, that it's here to be your therapist, to help you feel comfortable with the life that you live. And that it's deism, that there's some sort of God behind it. But the gospel, the true gospel is, as we've talked about, it's not about you. It's about your fallen nature and the built up wrath that is coming to you if God doesn't save you. It's ultimately about God's plan of reconciling the world to himself. And in order for that to have happened, in order for you to have salvation, you have to look to Jesus. You have to look to the cross. You have to repent and believe that he has paid the fine that is due to you, that there is a legal transaction that needs to happen in order for you to to, to have salvation. That comes back to your serpents, the biting serpents that cause death. That's the, the law. Paul said yeah. the, um, the commandment, which I thought was ordained to life, brought death to me. And that's why we look to Jesus, because he redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Mm. Yeah. You know, Mark, when we consider the, the concept of being saved from the wrath of God, you know, it, it speaks to God's nature, to God's holiness, but also by the way or the manners, we're talking about the meaning in which he saves us. It speaks to the horrific nature of sin, that God would crucify his son, that God the son would incarnate and then bear not just the pain and torture and torment that were associated with the cross, but he also bore the blasphemies that came from the tongues and the vocal cords and lips that he himself fashioned and formed. Yeah, listen, I was in front of uh, our church and I was doing some Q&A from uh, the crowd after a teaching. And I said, listen, the question has, it was dealing with hell. And I said, listen, the doctrine of hell is the one doctrine in the Bible that I actually understand. Hmm. It's the one doctrine that actually makes the most sense. 
when you understand what man has done, what man is capable of doing, Paul Washer said the only reason why there's not more Adolf Hitlers in the world is because of God's grace holding people back from doing that which they really want to do. So when we put those things in its true light, the things that we've done in secret, the things that we want to do that we would do if we knew we could get away with them before we were in Christ, all of these things are horrifically evil in the eyes of God, Hmm. right? Remember, you cannot have evil without good, and you cannot have good without God. That God is supremely good, he is supremely innocent, and for him to derobe himself of that majestic position that he had in eternity to come down amongst us, to become one of us. You tell the story about the Chihuahua becoming a Chihuahua. Hmm. Uh, I don't want to steal your thunder on that, but it's, it's such a good illustration of becoming a uh, one of us to a good degree. Uh, We're able to see you know, that we deserve to go to hell. Let mm. me add to what you said, no. which is that you also can't have a God of love if you don't have wrath. No. Because if God just loves a lovable world, that's, that's not love, that's sentimentality, right? That's, that's, that's not true love. True love is sacrificial love. True love requires a great sacrifice and that great true. sacrifice is that God allowed his son to experience the wrath that you deserve. See, yeah. that turns sentimentality into sacrificial love. Amen. Yeah, Mark, what you're referring to is, uh, it's an illustration, it's not original, but I heard it before. It's like w- when we talk about Christ becoming a man, it's like, imagine you becoming a chihuahua to save a breed of ravenous pit bulls and Doberman pinchers that you knew were gonna devour you and tear you to pieces. And you do it, not only knowing what will happen to you, but you do it to save them from their rabid state. I mean, wow, you know. But Ray, I wanted to ask you this, as it pertains to the importance of opening up the law and the holiness of God, because people will come out with this statement oftentimes, that's so ridiculous. You mean, how can it be? I Okay, believe in Jesus, or you're going to go to hell. How stupid is that? Why would God create such a rule? Isn't that disconnected from the understanding of why we need Jesus and what he did? And that only happens through understanding our sinfulness, that we yeah. need redemption. Hosea 4.6 is probably the most misunderstood Bible verse or half-quoted Bible verse. Uh, my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. They don't go to the whole verse, and it's the lack of knowledge of God's law. What God's law does is it brings the knowledge of sin. It's a schoolmaster, and the purpose of a schoolmaster is to teach. And so man will never understand his state before God without that law Mm. because it brings knowledge. And uh, without that knowledge, they'll be destroyed or perish. So it's absolutely essential to open up divine law. And boy, I feel like a tape recorder for the last (laughs) 35, 40 years to do what Jesus did. I mean, that's not asking too much of the church to just look to Jesus, the one we're told to, uh, to be our example and say, what did he do with a rich young ruler? He opened up the commandments. What did he do with the Sermon on the Mount? The most famous sermon ever preached by the famous, most famous preacher ever lived. All he did was expound the law and make it honorable. He opened up the spiritual nature of the law. And that spiritual nature of the law is what showed me my need of God's mercy. No understanding without that. That showed me that I, I was in a, in a terrible state before God. Like I think John Wesley said, Love the law as much as love, love the cross because it's what brought me to the cross. Oh. And don't discard it. If, you, if you've got a ladder that you use to save people from burning, you don't throw away the ladder and despise it. You use it to save others. Wow. And that's the purpose of the law. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Mark, when we we take the time to open up the law, and then we bring around John three sixteen. Oh, you sweet. know, it, it just it makes it all the sweeter. Look, this is who you are. This is what you've done. This is what you deserve. Now let me show you the manner in which. God loved the world. Can I just jump in here before yeah. Mark answers that? You ever eat something sweet just before you want to eat something sweet and you think, what did I do that for? <laughs> totally. <laughs> I do. Think, yeah. So, Every day? Yeah. And it's, I wish I hadn't done that because I wanted to eat this and now I've blown up eating something sweet. Yeah. But if you eat something sour, when you're going to have that, that sweet thing, it's just going to explode in your mouth. Ah, uh, that's so true. And that's what John 3.16 does if you take the bitterness of the law first, the darkness of the law, then the light shines greatest. Mark Devery said, if God were not wrathful against sin, we would question whether he is personally good. What would it mean for him to say that he is committed to oppose evil if he refused to judge it? Ooh. Yeah, man, that brings up such a good point. We never do that with man, right? We never look and say, oh, look at all these heinous crimes this person committed, and look how nice that judge was to say, oh, I'm going to let you go. Mm-hmm. Or that jury just let him off the hook. We, ne- we never, That's unthinkable. Yeah. It's like, what are they doing? But no, no, oh, God will just let everything go. And Oscar, why do people do that? Uh, We have a high view of ourselves and a low view of God. Yeah. And because uh, I've heard it said before that we we love, human beings love the idea of God being judge as long as he's not judging us, (laughs) right? Like people who, I mean, if you think about this, most Christians throughout history and throughout the world have been oppressed by whatever country they're in. They've been wronged. Their lands are taken from them. Their their family members are are you know killed because of what they believe. And when they read verses like "God's going to come and judge the world," that word "judge" doesn't just mean judge sinners. It also means make all wrong things right, rearrange things to be shalom, to be in its right place and state of mind, bring everything to where it was meant to. You're be. talking about equity. Yes, in in to a degree, to a degree, equity. So, for example. You know, if you have a widow whose land has been taken from her, when that word judge means like you will be restored, right? So she looks forward. She understands that she will be judged for her sins, but she also understands as being a daughter of God that that there's going to be a restoration on judgment. For Westerners, uh, especially for Americans, we tend to view ourselves as having, again, a higher view of self and a lower view of God. Like we don't... We don't need equity. We can get that for ourselves. Ah! Bless you. Oh, that's really Sorry. sensitive. I tried to hold off that sneeze for as long as I could. Sorry. You know, they say dogs sneeze to show submission. <laughs> yes, master. God, God bless you. What atheists say when someone sneezes at a convention? <laughs> right. Uh, uh, bless you. <laughs> the bless. Bless. <laughs> Sorry, Oscar. You were no, saying something good. very profound. Uh, I don't remember now. I thought it was great how you sneezed right into the microphone. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> yeah, you leaned into it. Yeah. So uh, we got a lot of deaf listeners. Uh, ultimately, the problem is, is that we have narrow in our minds, we have narrowed the gap between us and God. We think that there's some form of equality between us and God. And that gap, that couldn't be further from the truth. There is ultimately no gap. God is otherly. He is creator and we are creation and, and we stand in judgment before him. Yeah. Which again, magnifies his love all the more and shows us, wow, he loved the world in this manner that he gave his son and he gave his son for wretched sinners and he'll spare us not a place that we maybe might go to, a place that we should go to, that we deserve to go to, and we'll be with him 
and glory forever. What, what a joy. What a God-centered gospel that is. And so it should be. Because when God is not the center of all things, everything falls apart. Mm. Everything goes to chaos. And so friends, maybe you look into your life and you recognize, wow, this sin that I bear is sin that I've tried to get rid of myself. And I recognize now I can never do that. You don't boast because you know you can jump off of a pier and go 10 feet when the person before you went seven feet. Wow, look at me. And you're still a thousand miles from shore. It's ridiculous. So recognize that the gap is so wide, you can never bridge it. But God did because he loved us in this manner that he gave such a huge sacrifice because this is who he is. We hope you turn to him and receive what he did through his death and his resurrection by grace. How wonderful that is. Hmm. Well, friends, that wraps it up. Thank you for joining us once more. And don't forget how to be free from the fear of death. That ties in beautifully with the topic we're talking about and the Evidence Study Bible at livingwaters.com. Remember to give us your comments, suggestions, thoughts, ideas, criticisms at podcast at livingwaters.com. And don't forget the ratings. Hey, guys, we're still at five stars after um, many, many, many reviews and 100 and, I don't know, 40 some episodes. Very encouraging. Keep it up, friends. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters podcast, where we have absolutely, ooh, I added a word, no idea what we're doing. Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too. Those of you who are listening, just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters Podcast.